He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, December 30, 2023, our end of the year show. We are going out with fireworks, episode 189, the Honorable J. Michael Ludig, judge from the Fourth Circuit, renowned, almost on the Supreme Court, Troubadour Dave Gunders. This is historic. How are you? Well, I'm 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 flattered to be uh, placed in the same sentence with Jub, Judge Ludic. Well, you have been, and I think we have a lot of new listeners. And I was hoping to describe our show. Every week we have fresh music from Dave Gunders, who never seems to disappoint. He comes up with the perfect song. He's done it again. And Troubadour, you've been traveling and. Uh, how would you describe our show to newcomers? Oh, well, I, I'd say it's a it's a fascinating um, analysis of of the days, you know, the politics of the day, of uh, events, of philosophies, sports. It's a wide spectrum. Yes. Absolutely. And I like people following us on Apple. We have our YouTube video shorts, but primarily we're just audio. And I was smart enough back in the day to say when my boys needed new phones and I had to spend many hundreds of dollars, I was going to buy Apple stock. And that was a good decision. So that's why I think I tell people to follow us on Apple. That's where I get my podcasts. And I guess I'm a partial owner. I've also owned stock in Boeing through the years. Did you know Judge Ludig was general counsel for Boeing for about 15 years till he retired in 2019 and moved that's to Vail? Big, yeah. big job. I'd say that's a huge job, but he's so yeah. respected. He had served 15 years on the federal bench, almost made it to the U.S. Supreme Court. Everybody on the conservative side has long worshipped this guy. And uh, like with Apple, I've always said, if you can't beat them, join them. But that's not true with MAGA, because I don't want to join them. Not after what I've seen. And Judge Ludig, he had his own breakaway. And you have the perfect song, because we discover, I don't want to give too much away before we play the interview, but one of the big heroes is his wife, Elizabeth who told her husband, do something. You and I have wives. That's pretty compelling, especially if they have tears in their eyes. It's the old I love Lucy thing. She starts crying and Ricky, whatever you want. What can I do? Please stop crying. You know the feeling, don't you, Troubadour? <laughs> I guess, I guess. But then you got to do it on your own. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's nice to have a wife who's supportive, for sure. You know, he's a federal judge, so I follow all of his edicts. Toward the end, I said, 
can I share your number with Ben Micellis from Midas Touch Network? They have 1.8 million subscribers. I've become friendly. I respect him so much. But then we had to wait, and now he and I are texting. And I'm sorry because, you know, you are my best friend here in Colorado, but he lives here in Colorado. And after our texting, after the main decision following the Colorado Supreme Court, he might be my new best Colorado buddy. Is that okay? That's okay, Craig. You can have a new best buddy. No, you're still my best buddy because you <laughs> have all this musical talent. And fire in my heart, he wanted to do it by Zoom so we could look at each other. And I kind of messed that up because I didn't use my pro version with over 40 minutes and right in the middle of his great story. Oh, no. But he picked up just like a trooper. It went out. Right, but then we had the phone, and he had already Every, seen right. He saw what he had that experience, Craig. We've all had it. I know, but it didn't yeah. matter to him because he had seen me. I'd seen right. him. Right, good for him. Yeah. And we're best pals now. He didn't have to look at me anymore. And I couldn't right. put the video out there because he's a federal judge. And, you know, they don't have videos in their courtroom. And I'm going to do what he says. So after Maine made its decision and we're texting buddies, he said, okay, give my number to Ben Maicela. So Judge Ludic is a podcast star. But he's a little like you. He's a little younger than you, Troubadour. We're all in the same general age range. But I asked him at the end if he's done a lot of podcasts, and he said, well, what is a podcast exactly? So we need to educate him, because three years ago, he was saying, what is Twitter exactly? And then he learned how to use it, and he helped save the country after Elizabeth got on him and said, do something. Wow. Anyway, So before he, that, before she said, do something, what was he doing? He was retired, enjoying the good life in Bell, Colorado, like you. He's... Uh, you're a mountain man. He's got his cabin in Vail. You've got your cabin in the mountains. What do you guys do when it's all cold up there in the winter? That's sort right. of your song. It's about the winter, fire in my heart. Tell us yep. about your music. It's a winter song. And um, that that song, I think I I just had the idea of the fire, you know, you're a fi the fire in my hearth. Um, it sounds like heart, but it's hearth. And uh, I kind of built it around that. It was it was, um, it was an idea that was bouncing around for a while. Right. And while I'm looking at him on Zoom, there is his fireplace going, the hearth in Vail from where he saved the country with his beautiful wife, Elizabeth. Well, I'm glad I could contribute a song that, that uh, you know, that works this week. Okay, now here's something we have to discuss, because I know you and I have different views on this. I am a bit of a slow talker, kind of the opposite of Ben Shapiro, but as slow as I talk, I think Judge Ludic talks maybe even a little slower. That's a sign of we were raised in an era of court reporters who needed to take down our every word, and if you talk too fast, the court reporter or the judge says, slow down. I did not hear that a lot. So. Well, I've never really. No, you have a good pace. And that 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 goes to my resistance when you say, oh, you can listen to these podcasts, um, just speed them up to one point five or this or that. That's what I'm um, saying. Do it's it. doing you a disservice. No. Part of your the pace, your natural pace. This is just my opinion of your voice is part of what makes you 
good to listen to. I don't mind being sped up, but don't speed up your music. And you know what we're going to do today? We're going to get right to uh, Judge Ludig, and we're going to play your music at the end after everybody hears about Elizabeth Ludig saving the day. And Sounds like a great idea. and, And the thing about your music, since people don't know, but they should, they can find your entire inventory, your library, at davegundersmusic.com. Am I right? Davegunders.com. You know, oh, I don't Dave even think you have to say, Yeah, you don't even have to say music. Yep. I go to YouTube a lot because I go to Amazon or Apple. You are on all of those. He's our troubadour, Dave Gunders, and he comes up with this song every week, and there are kind of common themes. And as we wish each other a happy new year, your common theme is love. Am I right? Love will hope, save the day. I think that uh, that's probably true. They're not all about love, but, uh, you know, it's a pretty it's a pretty big subject, one worth tackling. <laughs> yes, and you do it beautifully in about 85% of your songs. At the end of my interview of Judge Ludig, you will hear Fire in My Hearth by our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Thank you, troubadour. Happy New Year and Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Happy New Year, Craig.
catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead, who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Please enjoy the inner sanctum. This is greatness for me to be able to interview you, Judge Ludig. I'm really honored that you've given me this opportunity, and thanks for being on my podcast. Well, thank you, Craig. It's really uh, an honor for me to be to be on with you today. Uh, as you know, I've, uh, I'm not a resident yet of Colorado, but uh, I'm, I'm a, a proud uh, homeowner uh, in the state of Colorado. And it's, uh, it's a special opportunity today for me uh, to be able to speak to you and, and through you to uh, uh, the citizens of the great state of Colorado. Well, thank you. This is the only home I know, Colorado. 
I'm a third-generation Colorado lawyer, and I welcome you to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, which is a collegial atmosphere, especially for people like us in our fifth decade of practice. There's an inner sanctum within the lounge where we have the candor of people in Act 5 of our career. I hope that makes sense to you. That's sort of the radio of the mind that I seek to create. But you and I are roughly the same age, and we kind of came of age through television. And I've gotten to know you through watching you on the January 6th committee. I mean, your testimony has changed the nation. And I have to say that for myself and my audience, you've won the case. So we're going to stipulate that you are correct on the 14th Amendment, Article 3. And then the Colorado Supreme Court, four of them agreed with you. And I wrote a column in the Colorado Sun, and you were nice enough to reach out to me. What's going to happen next? What's your reaction to the Colorado Four? And how would you assess their opinion? Well, thanks, Craig. Uh, you know, first thing I want to tell your listeners is, is that uh, I, I found you. You didn't find me, and uh, and and I want all your listeners to know that that I I just happened to to read uh, your column about the uh, Colorado Supreme Court's decision, and I thought it was so beautifully written as a uh, as a Colorado proud Coloradoan uh, that I I reached out to Craig uh, to congratulate him on on his beautiful article about the Supreme Court, Colorado Supreme Court's decision and, uh, and, and ask if we might uh, not have coffee someday and, and just get to know each other better. Uh, that's how I was so impressed. I was with, with, with Craig and, and, uh, and his work for the Colorado Sun. So um, Craig, the, I think I would start by saying what, what I've said publicly an hour after the opinion was released, ha- having read the 125 plus pages of opinions uh, in 45 minutes, uh, I, I immediately went on national television and I described the, the Supreme Court's opinion as, as a masterful judicial opinion uh, interpreting section three of the 14th amendment and applying uh, the uh, section three uh, so as to disqualify the former president uh, from the presidency ever again, because he had engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the constitution of the United States uh, in and around January 6, 2021. Uh, it was truly uh, a, a masterpiece of, of judicial work and judicial opinion writing. By that, I, I mean this. Uh, the, the justices uh, addressed every single issue that needed to be decided under the 14th Amendment and incidentally, also under Colorado state law. 
And in the course of, of addressing each of those issues and resolving them, uh, the court uh, addressed itself to every single a contrary argument and even to every bit of contrary historical evidence that would have supported the contrary result. And it reasoned through that contrary evidence and contrary support to its conclusion, which was unassailable in every single respect. It was an unassailable judicial interpretation and application of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution, Craig. I know, and people say, what right did they have? And they don't perceive there was a trial. Well, what did I attend in early November? And what did I watch on C-SPAN? Did they can as well? It was a week-long trial. Team Trump defended itself. Ken Buck, who just vacated his seat. Apparently, Lauren Boebert wants it now. That's another story. I go way back with Ken Buck. I've had him in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. But back to Ken Buck and Cash Patel, another Trump witness, they came up a dollar short. The judge found insurrection, but went off on a theory that he wasn't an officer as contemplated by Article 3. None of the seven Supreme Court justices bought up on that. But there are a lot of hooks for the U.S. Supreme Court to hang its hat on. And we have limited time with one of the most knowledgeable people in the world because respectfully, sir, I spent my early part of my career, the most formative. You and I became lawyers in 1981. I had started as an intern in 1980 with Bill Ritter, who went on to be governor, in the Denver DA's office, and I rose through the ranks. You went to the University of Virginia, correct me if I'm wrong, and you interned at a place called the U.S. Supreme Court, and you somehow became pals with Warren Berger while you're a law student, and then Antonin Scalia. And next thing you know, you're a conservative icon. You're in the Reagan administration. You get to know Justice Clarence Thomas, Justice Souter, so many people. I'll shut up, but I want to know what's going to happen next. What will the U.S. Supreme Court do with this decision? Who would know better than you? Well, Craig, the, you know, the, the first thing I want to, to, to say to your listeners is this. This is not politics. This is the opposite of politics. This is constitutional law. It is the Constitution of the United States of America that will disqualify the former president from, from office if he is to be disqualified. Political figures and politicians, and to some extent, you know, the country at large, uh, had a political reaction to this. It was not a constitutional reaction. The constitutional reaction which everyone should have had, would have been unsurprising because, 
had they known the Constitution as well as you do, and 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 many of uh, Coloradoans know the Constitution, uh, they would have been unsurprised because the 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 plain meaning of Section Three would disqu- disqualifies the former president from higher office. The only issue at all is whether he engaged in insurrection or rebellion. I, I say that's the only issue because only because the Supreme Court of the United States has to decide finally what constitutes an insurrection or rebellion for purposes of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So there, there, there's no reason why any of us, frankly, except the few of us who have studied the history of Section 3, would have any idea whether, as a matter of constitutional law, the president engaged in an insurrection or rebellion. But here's all that your listeners need to know. Your Supreme Court, the Colorado Supreme Court, they examined, studied, researched all of the possible definitions of insurrection or rebellion from the time of the framing of the 14th Amendment in 1868. Your justices and your court actually uh, canvassed all the possible definitions and then chose from among those definitions the narrowest possible definition of insurrection or rebellion and relied upon that definition to find that the former president engaged in an insurrection or rebellion. Uh, So that's a, a, a long way of saying that this is not politics. It's constitutional law. And your Supreme Court uh, analyzed, considered, and decided this profoundly important question of constitutional law masterfully. So to your question of what what happens next, let let me first say that in, in my opinion, but considered opinion, the Supreme Court of the United States uh, would have great difficulty overturning the Colorado Supreme Court's decision if it even wanted to. Now, the Supreme Court of the United States, just like any other judge or set of judges, they should never want to come to any particular conclusion. And I don't assume that this Supreme Court of the United States does want to come to a particular conclusion. And if that's true, then I don't believe that it will uh, reverse the Colorado case if if it ends up taking the Colorado case to decide uh, the question. Procedurally, Here's what happens next. And, 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 and there was actually uh, file, a filing today by uh, the plaintiffs in the case. 
in the Supreme Court of the United States in which they asked the Supreme Court to expedite its consideration of the Colorado case. Nice. This is on, we're we're taping on Thursday, right? And the day before, the Colorado Republican Party had filed something with the U.S. Supreme Court. Keep going, Your Honor. That's exactly right, Craig. So this was in response, if you will, to the, the, the Republican Party's petition to the court yesterday, Wednesday, to hear the case. So today, again, the plaintiffs filed a a petition in the Supreme Court of the United States asking the court to expedite consideration of the Republican Party's request that the Supreme Court hear the case. So uh, we're waiting any day now for the former president to to file in the Supreme Court of the United States uh, asking the the Supreme Court to hear the case and to expedite it. That may not occur, but the former president's lawyers have said that that, that they do intend to appeal, and I expect that they will file that petition in the Supreme Court um, any day now, if not by the end of the day today. So then what happens next? Then it is it it is up to the Supreme Court of the United States to decide whether it will take and hear this case, and if it does, whether it will consider the case on an expedited basis, as both both two of the parties have now asked the court to do. I I believe that if the court does take the Colorado case that it will expedite its consideration of the case uh, in order to um, render a final decision as soon as, as it possibly can before the primary uh, primaries start um, in uh, February, late February and March. Not before the Iowa caucus, though. I think that's late January. This is amazing to hear this out of your mouth. And I got taught at CU Law School that the Constitution means what the Supreme Court says it does. Chief Justice Boatwright, in his dissent, said there was a lack of constitutional due process supported Team Trump, etc. Justice Moore went in a different direction. So anybody inclined to rule in favor of Donald Trump has a number of hooks that they could put their black robe on. But I agree with you. It's written down. If you are textualists, if you really want to follow the Constitution, it's plain as can be. And so is the fact that he committed an insurrection and he can't be on the ballot. Thank God our framers contemplated after the Civil War that we may have another bigot. We may have another authoritarian, a tyrant who would rise up just like Jefferson Davis or Robert E. Lee might want to run, and they'd probably win Mississippi, Alabama. God knows where else in the Old South. But our, our, our forefathers, not the original ones, but the ones after the Civil War put this in, and you know what else they put in? They put Colorado in the Union. Lincoln had a vision of Colorado as a free state, and U.S. Grant, 
who fought the Klan said, okay, after we got out of Texas, now you're from Texas, I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings, but this goes way back, am I right, Your Honor? Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Craig. Now, on, on your first point, there's not an argument uh, under law that that the former president was denied due process. The first thing for your listeners to know is that that this is not a matter as to which due process attaches. This is not uh, a question of the deprivation of one's life, liberty, or or freedom, uh, or property. This is something quite different. This is the possible disqualification of the former president from higher office under the 14th Amendment. The the former president, needless to say, does not have a right to that office. No one has a right to any public office. So it's not a question of, uh, and it will never be a question of whether he received due process of law in the Colorado uh, proceedings. Now, knowledgeable people, not the people who are making that uh, uninformed claim. Knowledgeable people. Is that that a dig at Chief Justice Boatwright? Didn't he say it was a due process problem? No, I I think I I haven't read Justice Boatwright's opinion. Nothing that I'm saying now is intended as a dig at him, okay? All right. But was about to, just about to say, I could be mistaken, but I believe that Justice Boatwright might have been making the argument, which is an entirely legitimate and important argument, that uh, that Section Three is is not uh, self enforcing, by which is meant that Congress must legislate in order to enforce Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. That's a very, very important threshold question in the final decision of this case for the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, the the two uh, conservative professors of law who wrote the uh, seminal landmark, uh, seminal uh, law review article that is still forthcoming in the Pennsylvania Law Review, that set this entire initiative in motion, uh, they determined that the 14th Amendment is self-executing. That is, it does not require congressional action, nor does it require a, a prosecution and conviction of the former president for insurrection or rebellion. Uh, Professor Tribe, my friend, uh, the preeminent constitutional scholar of of our time, if not in all of American history, uh, he and I have studied uh, this issue for three years, and we are uh, utterly convinced that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is self-executing and that no no action uh, by Congress is required nor is a, a, a conviction for insurrection or rebellion required. I think, and I hope and expect 
that that was Justice Boatwright's point. But if it wasn't, I'm not speaking today to what he said, because I don't know what he said. Right. You were the ones who got it going. And these two less or more obscure members of the Federalist Society wrote that first article. And I thought, whoa, is the Federalist Society turning on Donald Trump after they cooperated so much to get those three Supreme Court justices? I bet you would know better than anybody. What is the state of relations there? And is the Federalist Society an honest broker in your in your mind? And if they are, wouldn't they be as outraged as you are? Uh, Craig, the, you know, this will be interesting to you and your listeners. Uh, everyone for 30 years now has, has assumed that I, I'm an active member, if not leader, of the Federalist Society. But in, but in fact, uh, I've, I've never um, been a member of the Federalist Society. Uh, and I've never, to my knowledge, uh, been to a, a single meeting of, of the Federal Society. Uh, but Professors Bode and Paulson, uh, they are, and they've been longtime uh, active members in the, in the Federal Society. Um, but they are um, uh, uh, scholars of great integrity and, and scholarly integrity. And in, in this case, they, they did a comprehensive research uh, of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and what it, what it means and what it requires uh, for the first time since uh, uh, the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868. And uh, uh, it, was, it's, it, too, is unassailable, just like the Colorado Supreme Court's uh, decision it is unassailable in every single respect. I don't think the Federalist Society was born until the early 80s. And my buddy, who's a chief judge of the Tenth Circuit, Tim Timkovich, he started his own wing of it here in Colorado. They give credit to the East Coast wing. And I say, let them take credit. Anyway, he's the other judge I know pretty well. But I remember how he rooted for Ronald Reagan when we were roommates together at CU Law School. And you knew Ronald Reagan. Heck, there's a lot of great passages about you in the Ronald Reagan Library. So tell us about that and how it informs this journey you are on right now, just to inform everybody else, because you're a humble man. Not only did you work with Ronald Reagan and then you became an esteemed judge, you became a feeder judge to Supreme Court justices, I believe Thomas and Alito. Then you went on to be general counsel for a company called Boeing for the better part of two decades. And before I go any further, tell everybody how you, a native Texan, came to be in Colorado, or is that just in the contract for you guys? You all tend to come up to our mountains. Tell us about how you came to Colorado and and just brag about your association with, you know, that that time in the early 80s. Was it magical for you? Well, Craig, you know, we Texans are not uh, as ignorant as you Coloradoans like to think. And uh, uh, and and, and uh, that's why we we make our way to Colorado as fast as we can. And uh, and my family actually started coming here uh, over half a century ago. Uh, when I was, uh, 
10 years old, so 60 years ago. Uh, but only during the summers, Craig. Okay. Uh, we came from Texas to, to the coolness right. of, of the Colorado summers. Where did you go? It wasn't until, uh, to, always to Vail. Uh, well, though, we used to go to Colorado Springs. And then um, when I was in college, my mother was trying to get uh, her education, which my dad had promised her uh, when he married her, whenever they could afford it. This would have been in the 70s. My mother and I would come up to Colorado, uh, to Fort Collins and to Boulder uh, in the summers while she went to school and I would work construction. And uh, and, and and then we continued coming up here uh, for, for 60 years straight. And then about 12 years ago, my wife came out uh, in the winter for the first time. Any member of my family had been here in the winter. We were living in Chicago at the time. And she came back and said, Colorado is magical. I want to, to move out there. And I said, uh, well, let's let's go out there next summer and, and look around. And and we did. And at that point, about uh, seven, about 12 years ago, we we bought a condo here in Vail. And then about five years ago, we we uh, sold the condo and bought bought a house here now. And and it's uh, you know, it's it's likely that we'll spend a disproportionate amount of our time uh, out here in Colorado if I ever retire. But to your to your other question, uh, you know, I I have to admit to your listeners, you know, I'm I'm getting on up there. I'm I'm almost 70. Um, but. I was conservative before conservative was cool, is is what I have always said. And I began saying that back in uh, the early 1980s uh, when I went into uh, uh, the White House under Ronald Reagan. Uh, it is it is under the former, former president, Ronald Reagan's administration, that the conservative legal movement began. And it was it was really sponsored by then uh, Attorney General Ed Meese, who was uh, uh, Ronald Reagan's close friend from California, and uh, and then then he reached out uh, to uh, then Judge and then ultimately Justice Antonin Scalia, and uh, and and the two of them are are really. Two of the of the several leading figures that that I believe started the conservative legal movement back in in, in the early 1980s during the Reagan administration, and uh, uh, in those days, for instance, I, I was in the White House, um, but my my close friend John Roberts, who is now Chief Justice of the United States, was also. Uh, in in uh, the Reagan White House with me in in the council's office under then counsel Fred F. Fielding, and then subsequently uh, John and I both went uh, over to the Department of Justice. Um, I, I headed the Office of Legal Counsel and was a uh, counselor to then Attorney General uh, Dick Thornburg, and John uh, became Deputy Solicitor General of the United States. Under then solicitor of the general of the United States, uh, 
Kenneth Starr. And so that's where this all began. And so what do we mean uh, by the conservative legal movement? Uh, in, 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 in quick shorthand, for your listeners' uh, benefit, what that, that meant at the time and has come to mean is that, uh, that you read the Constitution, the plain words, and you give effect to the meaning of those plain words of the Constitution, informed only by the originalist, original understanding of those words at the time of the framing of the Constitution. And, uh, and, and that's why, that's what is so significant for the Colorado Supreme Court's decision. It's because the plain meaning of Section 3 of the 14th Am- Amendment informed only by the original understanding of those words in Section 3 at the time of the framing of the 14th Amendment in 1868 confirm beyond any question that the former president uh, is to be disqualified under Section 3. And uh, you were with Antonin Scalia a lot as a clerk, as a colleague, do you think Canton and Scalia would agree with you? I, 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 I do, Craig. But more importantly to me is that I, I've had the great privilege, great privilege uh, during my long lifetime to date uh, to serve and to work under some of the greatest uh, American and Americans and public servants um, in the past 60 years, including a, a great number of the, the Supreme Court justices, um, but also including um, several of the of the pre- former presidents like like Ronald Reagan and, and uh, George H. W. Bush. Uh, and then some of the the great leaders uh, at the Department of Justice over the years, and he, you mentioned that in your view, I'm a humble man. I I, I, I like to think of myself in that way. Uh, I've always thought of myself that way. Um, but 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 today, to make this point, um, ever since I first went to Washington, into the Ford White House actually, in 1976, uh, I have assumed every day of my life that I did not know the answers. And I wanted to learn from every single person that I ever spoke to, whether they occupied high office or whether they were the cab driver and literally the people who pick up our trash, I wanted to learn from them 
I wanted to learn what they thought, what they thought we should do. And uh, I'm very proud of that. Uh, No one in this world knows the answers. My view is that no one in the world ever knows the answer at all. And the the more important the decision, the more I believe that the decision maker should reach out and listen to every single person that they possibly can before they make that final decision. Uh, That's what I believe the Supreme Court of Colorado did in 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 this historic decision that it, that it made uh, last week. I agree, beautifully said. And some decisions are closer than others. And what I hear you say, this isn't that close. I mean, your job is to call balls and strikes. What does Article Three say? Does it line up? Yes, it does. Even more ridiculous is the immunity issue, which you've submitted in amicus brief on Jack Smith, et cetera. But I want to go back to Colorado, and thanks for giving that explanation. And going back to Jerry Ford, he's like you. He ended up in bail too, right? He saw the wisdom of uh, the magical Summit County. It's a little too cold for me up there, but if your wife and you like it, that's fine. Anyway, let's go back to the Colorado connections to the big lie that led to the January 6th insurrection. And on my podcast and in my column, I know some of these people like Jenna Ellis, who was spewing Stop the Steal on Denver talk radio where I used to work. I was offended. I saw this guy, Joe Oltman, claim on Denver talk radio that he intercepted an Antifa call in the Dominion out of Denver, the old spaghetti factory, downtown Denver. They rigged the election. That guy got chased out of town. There are all these Colorado connections, but the one connected you the most is a guy named John Eastman. Now, we don't claim him, just like Lauren Boebert's really from Florida. John Eastman's from California, right? But he got a contract with CU, but he was your uh, clerk, and I think you fed him up to the Supreme Court. Tell us about John Eastman, because you mentioned Ken Starr. Before he passed away, he took the side of Team Trump, and Eastman's all in. What do you make of your former friend? You tell us about Mr. Eastman, please. Yes. Well, my connection with Colorado in this whole matter it is not not John Eastman, and 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 I know you you appreciate that. Sure, and but you, you saved you saved America by uh, using technology to get a message to Mike Pence. That's what you did in Colorado, right? Colorado figures in you saving America, correct? The the former vice president's uh, uh, lawyer uh, reached out to me on uh, first. Uh, on the evening of January 4th. And my wife and I were here in Colorado for the holidays. And uh, and my Three friend, years ago. Uh, long three time years friend, ago, yes. During Richard the Cullen, Christmas break. Go ahead, I'm sorry. And by the way, the vice president was here in Vail over those holidays. Uh, and uh, But in any event, Richard Cullen, my friend, uh, asked me... Uh, he calls me judge, which is fine. 
And I said, uh, he said, Judge, do you know John Eastman? I said, yeah, I do. And he says, well, what do you think about him? And I said, well, uh, John is a uh, uh, is a, a brilliant constitutional lawyer. Said he's a professor. He's an academic, not a practitioner, but but he's a a, a brilliant scholar. I said, why why do you ask? And, and Richard said, you don't know, do you? And I said, no. And he said, well, uh, John was in the Oval Office today with the president and vice president, telling them both that the former president, the, the, the vice president could uh, effectively overturn the election two days, a day after tomorrow. And I said, uh, I said, Richard, uh, you can tell the vice president that I said he has no authority and no power whatsoever to do that, that his only uh, uh, power under the Constitution of the United States is to, to accept and count the electoral college votes as they had been cast and transmitted to the Congress of the United States. And Richard said, he knows that. And I said, well, okay, I, I, there's nothing else that I can do. Um, but if you, if I can help in any way, let me know. So when I hung up that call, uh, Craig, my wife, who, who was listening, you know, to to my side of the of the call, said, "Oh my God, what's going on?" And I told her, and she said, "Mike, you have to stop this. You must stop this. Do you have any idea what this would do to America?" And she was, you know, she was tearing up. And I looked at her and, and she was like pleading with me to do something. I said, "Hun, my wife of 40 plus years, Craig, I said, this just doesn't have anything to do with me. There's nothing in the world that I can possibly do. And she pled with me until we went to bed that night that I had to do something. And I pled with back with her that there was just nothing at all that I could do. Well, the next morning, I get up early in, in the mornings, and the next morning I would have been up before five. And somewhere shortly after five, I was having coffee, and Richard called me back and said, Judge, we have to do something immediately. And I said, well, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you mean? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, if you don't know what we have to do, how am I supposed to know what we need to do? He said, we've got to get your voice out to the country sometime in the next hour or so. And I said, Richard, I, I don't even have a single thought as to, to how to do that. I I literally said to him, Richard, I'm retired. I just uh, retired from Boeing a year earlier, almost to the day. And uh, uh, I said, I'm here in Vail with Elizabeth and the kids. I said, I don't have a platform. I don't have an office. Uh, uh, and I I literally said to him, 
though this was the most serious conversation that I've ever had in my life, Craig, I said, Richard, I don't even have a box of stationery. I said, and if I were to write something out on a, on a, on a piece of stationery, no one would care one whit what I had to say. And he said, I'll call you back in five minutes. So I continued my cup of coffee and he called back in five minutes. He said, have you thought of anything? I said, no, Richard, I haven't. He said, I'll call you back in five more minutes. And uh, he called back in five minutes and he said, have you thought of anything? I said, no, I haven't, Richard. I said, I, I really don't have any idea even what you want or, or much less how to do it. He said, time's very important, Judge. Uh, I'll, I'll call you back in 10 minutes, but we have to do something very quickly. So he calls back in 10 minutes and, and, and he said, have you thought of anything? And I said, Richard, I set up a Twitter account a few weeks ago, but I, I don't know how to tweet. And he said, perfect. Absolutely perfect. How quickly can you tweet something? And I said, Richard, what did you not hear? I, I told you I don't know how to tweet. And he said, you have to figure it out and you have to figure it out now. And I said, he said, call me back when you've tweeted. And I said, well, Richard, I'm not going to tweet anything at all. Not one word unless the vice president of the United States approves it. I said, you know, this is an historic moment if there's ever been one. And if you think I'm going to say one word that he doesn't approve, you're, you're out of your mind. And he said, uh, whatever you say will be fine. And I said, no. I said, I will not do this. And he said, I'll call you back. So he called me back in three more minutes and said, the vice president will be fine with anything you say. And he does not need to, to see it. Hey, everybody, for all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156-303-734-7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years, and I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. In the meantime, since uh, Richard's first call to me that morning, uh, I had typed out on my iPhone what I would say. Uh, and uh, after that last call from Richard, uh, I went down to my office here in uh, in in our home in in Vail, uh, and essentially transposed from the iPhone uh, to Twitter uh, what what I had originally written on my iPhone and wanted to tweet. So that's that in itself is a is a story for an uh, for another day. But it was very very difficult for me to figure out how to tweet.
Um, and then but, you, you had to get your son involved, and was yes, there a yes, FedEx yes. Kinkos and Bale involved? And you were, come on, Judge, got to get with modern technology. Did you know that you were limited to, what, 180 or 240 characters? Well, I didn't know anything like that then, Craig. But to your point just now, that's what my son said when I called him and said, help me. He said something like, Dad, you know, you and mom are Neanderthals. You, I've been telling you that you have to learn this stuff, and I just don't have time uh, to help you anymore. Uh, to which I said, let me tell you something. You either help me right now or I'll cut you out of the will or something. Oh, and, boy. Uh, That's uh, a crisis. But, you know, everybody's been giving you credit as an American hero. You've revealed that the real hero is Elizabeth. Am I right? Keep going. Yes. In, in, in my story, the hero's Elizabeth Craig, um, because she is the one who, in, 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 in a way that only a wife of many, many years could do, pled with me to do something that I had to do something uh, uh, if if America was not to be uh, thrown into a constitutional crisis, and you look in your wife's eyes of forty plus years, and you see the fear, and and you see the the want for you to do something, um, and it's just not an option to say no to her and uh, so yes in my book she's and she's borne the brunt of all of this for for our family for three three years now uh craig but uh, one thing i wanted to one point i wanted to make about the colorado supreme court's decision that we we, we never make and it's because they're never is occasion to make the point. But the Colorado Supreme Court's decision was a, a decision of courage. It was judicial courage to interpret the 14th Amendment in the way that it did, knowing, knowing full well that from the moment the decision issued, it would throw the country into temporary chaos. And more relevantly to the point I'm trying to make, it would invite the very kinds of threats from the former president and his supporters that uh, have come to be since the moment uh, the, the the court's decision came down. In other words, your listeners need to understand what happened when their Supreme Court decided this question of constitutional law. Many, many followers instigated by the former president have threatened the justices and their families 
with their lives. That is unacceptable in the United States of America. If this continues much longer, we will not have an independent judiciary and we will no longer have the rule of law in America. I could not agree more. And I've used my Colorado Sun column to rail against the threats against prosecutors. He put a baseball bat picture next to Alvin Bragg's head. The things he said about Jack Smith and the judges, it's outrageous. And you've borne the brunt of it, and uh, it's just disgusting. And the Colorado Supreme Court decided to issue its opinion per curiam. You are the judicial expert, but isn't that normally for a more routine matter? Here it seemed that nobody wanted the pride of authorship or maybe the attention of authorship. How did you take it that they did it per curiam? It, we likely will never know, Craig, but it is a reasonable inference that they issued a per curiam opinion you know, so that no one justice would be identified as the author of the opinion because they understood full well that that justice, you know, would be vilified, attacked, and threatened, just like all of them have been today. I know. I kind of know everybody. Melissa Hart was dean of my law school, CU Law School. She was guest on a broadcast of mine in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, I think on the death of one of the justices she clerked for. And then I played a lot of basketball with Will Hood. He was a chief deputy DA, DA in adjoining Arapahoe County to my Denver County. And then Monica Marquez, her Father was the first Hispanic Court of Appeals Justice in the early 80s. I remember that well. And then Rich Gabriel. I know him from, you know, around town, my synagogue, etc. And now all of these people are under attack. And he, he, his big thing has always been professionalism. I think the Colorado Supreme Court has made me proud. That's what I tried to convey in my column. And um, it wasn't just those judges, there had to be some smart clerks doing that research you were talking about. Tell us what goes into writing a magnificent opinion. Those are my words, but you're the one who started this interview, and you're much more expert. This was a work of art. This is a historic opinion, and it was well done. It made me proud as a, you know, a Colorado lawyer of 42 years. Craig, I, I, I call this opinion masterful. I've called it majestic. And I would call it today magnificent. Uh, but the Colorado justices, individual justices, all seven of them, distinguished themselves and brought credit to the Colorado Supreme Court and to the state of Colorado by their individual and their collective opinions. And I'm, I especially am, am, am including the dissenters. There was not one word or hint of politics in this opinion. 
every single word was judicial interpretation of the Constitution. But of course, coming right out of the blocks, you know, let's call it 20% of America, you know, we're attacking the opinion as a, a, a political opinion by liberal zealots. That's what brings America into the place that it's in today. That kind of irresponsible politicization of everything in our society, but especially the politicization of the judiciary, state and and federal. You mentioned the clerks. Of course, it takes clerks. And these clerks who supported these justices uh, are deserving of the respect that the justices themselves are deserving of. But the clerks are nothing more than the clerks. And they understand that. They serve their individual justices and the court as a whole. They don't need uh, our validation. They don't expect it. The respect and validation goes to the individual justices of the Colorado Supreme Court. Back to your clerk for just a second, John Eastman. Um, You're in bail. Vice President Pence is in bail. You're going through all these machinations, put out the message on Twitter. And eventually you do. But I'm wondering, what was your relationship with B.P. Pence? I know he's an attorney. I know he was a congressman. I know he had a Saturday radio talk show host till he was elevated to BVP. But what was your relationship with him that this guy Richard felt it was so imperative that he hear from you and, and he had such trust in you? To this day, Craig, I've never met Mike Pence. Um, obviously I had never met him up to January 6th. He and I knew each other, uh, personally, though not well, uh, just over the years, uh, uh, the vice president had been a, uh, a staunch supporter of mine, uh, throughout his political career, uh, in, in Missouri, uh, including, I believe, supporting me for uh, for the Supreme Court of the United States. You mean in, uh, in, in Indiana? It's, uh, Indiana, it, I'm right. in Indiana. Right. And, uh, but we've never met. Right. Uh, so, so you're saying when you were up for the U.S. Supreme Court, Pence was in your corner? I believe so. I believe I have read that. Just because he uh-huh. liked your opinion writing and you were such a conservative icon he just worshipped you from afar not that but uh at all craig but as you know and your listeners probably would not you know i was a prominent conservative jurist for many many years and and was uh 
honored to be considered uh, for appointment to the Supreme Court by um, President uh, George W. Bush in 2005. So I, I've been well known uh, as a conservative lawyer uh, really since 1980. Uh, so what are we talking about? 40 four years at this point. So um, I was honored, honored beyond words that the vice president reached out uh, to me in that, that moment, grave moment of American history. Uh, and, and I will always be honored that he, he did so. Well, let's uh, tell the happy part of the story. When you saved America, really, Elizabeth did it, but you got your tweet out there with the help of your son. And then I'm on Twitter at Craig's Colorado, and I think I read it that day. I didn't realize the significance, but what was it? What did you hear afterwards? How viral did it go? And when did you realize that you and Elizabeth had uh, saved America from Mike Pence? rejecting the electoral college votes? So I, I'm not going to respond to your gracious uh, thoughts just now, uh, Craig, but, but, but here's the story. So uh, I tweeted it, and I, I had no earthly idea, Craig, what I had done, what, whether anyone in the world would ever see it. Remember, I had just started my uh, Twitter account a few weeks earlier. I can't imagine that I would have had more than a hundred followers of that. And um, uh, and it was surreal. Uh, five, no more than 10 minutes later, Richard called me and said, judge your tweets on the front page of the New York Times. And I said, what? And he said, I'll send you a copy. And I said to Richard, Richard, just leave me alone. And hung up. I said that because I was like, I had no earthly idea. But they did. Somebody did uh and because that tweet went straight to the new york times uh and within moments uh i was getting call after call after call from uh national media and 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 many of whom were friends of mine and they would ask judge what did you just do and I would say, well, what do you mean? And they'd say, you know what we mean. And I said, well, I don't, I don't really know. What are you talking about? And they'd say, the tweet. Why did you, why did you just tweet that? Uh, and Craig, to, to, to my good friends in the media, you know, I never, ever lie to any person at all. But to my good friends, I, I said, if there was anything to it, I would not be at liberty to tell you. 
Um, and, uh, and then it just, it went crazy. So, um, so then fast forward to January 6th, the, the day of the attack on the Capitol. And, uh, I'm working in my office here where I'm sitting right now. And, um, I get two emails in rapid succession from two of my, uh, clerks. And they're both to the effect of, Judge, what are you doing? So I responded and said, well, Elizabeth and I are just out here at the holidays in Vail and, and you know, just enjoying ourselves. And they each wrote back and said, no, Judge, what are you doing? I said, I don't even know what you're talking about, guys. And the, the both of them wrote back and said, the vice president of the United States is on his way to the Capitol right now. He just released his letter to the nation saying that he is not going to overturn the election. And he cited you. And I said, guys, I am shocked out of my mind. I had no earthly idea until you just said this. Can you send me a copy of the letter? And they did. So, Craig, that was sort of the ending to the tweet. I never had any idea whether anyone in the world would see it, let alone whether the vice president of the United States would cite me in that letter to to the nation. Well, being the trial lawyer I am, I'm thinking about this go-between Richard and his persistence. What's his last name and position again? Did you say? It, it, Richard Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N. Uh, he, he, he became counsel, outside counsel to Vice President Pence, I think, beginning with the, uh, in the Mueller, Robert Mueller investigation. So by then, he would have been outside counsel to Pence for two plus years, probably. But Richard and Cullen and I have been friends for three or four decades. And, and among the heroes in this story are the attorneys for the vice president who kind of stood up for the truth and stood up to Donald Trump as well. So is he part of that team? Yes. I cannot I don't think any of us can even imagine the pressure that was brought to bear on Mike Pence in the, in the week or two before January 6th. But we can understand this. It's not possible for a public official to be put under any greater pressure any greater pressure at all than was Vice President Mike Pence on January 6, 2021. Except the issue is pretty obvious. I mean, it just doesn't make any logical sense. It's like this immunity argument, and you've twisted it off. Does that mean Joe Biden doesn't have to leave, that people can... You know what I'm saying? It still takes courage, but I want to get back to Richard and something you told me that you wanted to clarify for certain that VP Pence was going to be receptive and on board with what you had to say before you said it. And I'm just wondering about that. 
Yeah. Uh, well, you may know, but your listeners don't know that that for 40 years now, I've literally never spoken one single word in public that I didn't think through and carefully speak. So here I was in what I understood from my 50 years on this earth, much of which was in Washington, D.C., I understood the gravity of the moment. And I understood the gravity of the, of the fact that the, I was being asked to speak to the country on this matter of the greatest possible historical, constitutional, and political significance. God in bless, yeah. the moment. Yeah, well, God bless you and Elizabeth for what you did by speaking the truth, and God bless you for sticking with it, because that's not the only hero role that you are playing from Colorado. You are still so heavily involved. I kind of just went right past the immunity issue, but you are the head honcho on that amicus brief, and didn't you get great news that uh, the court wants to hear from you? Yes, uh, just just yesterday, uh, Craig, we, um, some friends and colleagues of mine from uh, former Republican administrations that I just think the world of, um, we we filed we filed several briefs actually uh, together, but uh, as to this one, we we filed initially filed this brief in the district court in in the District of Columbia, arguing that that the former president was not entitled to absolute immunity f- from uh, prosecution for uh, his offenses of January six. Interestingly, though not surprisingly, the district court did not accept our brief because district courts don't usually take amicus briefs. But 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 we uh, retitled it and and filed it in the District of Columbia Circuit Court, which has just now begun its review of the immunity question since the United States Supreme Court decided not to expedite review itself. And yesterday, I think it was, the D.C. Circuit uh, granted us leave to file our amicus brief so that the D.C. Circuit will consider our argument that there's, that, 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 that there's not an argument that the former president is entitled to absolute immunity for prosecution. I don't believe that any court, the D.C. Circuit or eventually the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court even hears this case, no court will ever say that a president is absolutely immune from prosecution for criminal offenses. So It's a no-brainer, right? It should take five minutes. It's and and to that point, Craig, I, I would say this. You know, much of the country was up in arms when the Supreme Court 
denied expedited review. Uh, and, and that night, I went on a couple of television shows to explain that in all likelihood, the, 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 there will be no delay or very little delay in the March trial of the former president uh, for his conduct in and around January 6th. Uh, and what we're seeing literally today is is the process to expedite the D.C. Circuit's consideration and decision of that question. And I think I even said on television that night that uh, I, I expect a decision from the D.C. Circuit no later than March 1 in time for the uh, the trial to begin on 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 schedule nice. and 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 if that were to, to 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 be the case i would expect the supreme court of the united states to deny review of the dc circuit's opinion if it were to hold that the that the former president is not entitled to immunity and it's going to collide with the Colorado case, too. It's so fascinating. You've talked about being a conservative icon, and we've alluded to these threats and the violence, the specter of violence that can break the judicial system. It used to be my observation that people in that branch would stick together, right? They see the common threat. If you and I can see it, Surely they must feel it. And I'm wondering about these Supreme Court justices. I didn't realize you worked that closely with John Roberts, but at I think I put it in my column. You know, it's time to shed the tyrant. This is their off-ramp. Will they take it? I will leave that question for you and, 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 and your listeners. And then, of course, ultimately, for the Supreme Court itself. But don't they have to worry about being threatened? I mean, what have been the repercussions on you? You were famous before all this, but now you're 10 times more famous. I love you for what you did. You stood up for principle. You cast aside any, uh, you know, political analysis in favor of being a lawyer. Don't you think lawyers have a special responsibility, but not everybody speaks up because Donald Trump is talking about retribution. What do we do with that, Judge? How has it affected you and your family? Well, you're exactly right. And, 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 and this is perhaps the greatest threat to uh, our democracy right now, Craig, is the threats, literal, actual threats, and then the, the very public threat of retribution by a former president of the United States of America in the event that he is returned to the White House by the American people. He will exact retribution against his political opponents. That's unprecedented in American history, and it must remain unprecedented for the remainder of our history. America cannot tolerate this kind of behavior.
in anyone, anyone, let alone a president of the United States. I would think that every Supreme Court justice would agree with that and be aware of what you are experiencing and the words of the presumptive GOP nominee. You were affiliated with these people for a long time, and so was I. I mean, I've always been kind of caught in the middle, but I worked at a conservative radio station, and, you know, I've lost friends over this. I, I don't want to be friends with people who would support that kind of behavior by Donald Trump. What's it been like in your world? Have you lost friends, family? Does it matter? I think one of the most tragic things about all of this, Craig, is that families have broken up. Brothers and sisters have parted ways. Parents have parted ways with their children. And on and on through extended family, friends no longer speak to each other. Friends of 30 years, friends of a lifetime, no longer speak to each other over Donald Trump. I know. What happens to the Republican Party now? I mean, it's been taken over. Is what? What does the future hold, Your Honor? Well, there, there. You know, I, I, I said this to, you know, earlier, as you know, there is no Republican Party today, Craig. Period. Since you're an honorary Colorado guy, what about Lauren Boebert? She says she's part of the Republican Party. Is that why it's dead? I don't, you know, as you know, I don't do politics. Well, you don't need to. Let me withdraw the question. I really would. But what about our Constitution? Is that still working? The answer is it remains to be seen. As I have said about the Colorado Supreme Court's decision, it is a test of America's commitment to democracy, to the Constitution, and to the rule of law. And we better not fail. We better not fail, Craig. We better not fail. Judge, I'm not going to fail to thank you for this extraordinary opportunity. You are such a fascinating man, and you've been through, you know, a lifetime full of experience that has yielded wisdom. And I'll just get back to that point. Since we both graduated at state law school in 1981, and I take a lot of pride in my profession, I think every lawyer should speak up because we're the ones who have studied the Constitution. This is not a close call. It really isn't. And we all know that the rule of law cannot abide a guy like Donald Trump making these threats and and acting the way he does. Um, it, it's frightening, especially with his Hitler talk. I mean, does it frighten you, Judge? Craig, the, the the legal profession, lawyers, the people you just spoke about, uh, are uniquely positioned and they are uniquely obligated 
to support the Constitution and the rule of law and America's democracy right now, in this moment, and in the year ahead. In fact, as, as you know, I, I agreed to uh, co-chair the American Bar Association's Task Force for American Democracy, which, uh, you know, with their 25 or 30 task force members, uh, every one of whom are, are some of the leading, most articulate defenders of democracy, the Constitution, and the rule of law in America today. And we are going to remind the lawyers of America, the 1.5 million lawyers in America, that they have an obligation to speak up, speak out in the year ahead. And uh, I'm very proud to be co-chairing that task force with former Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson. Uh, and Mary Smith, who is the, uh, uh, the the current president of the American Bar Association. Um, but yes, all of us really, as citizens, have the responsibility of citizenship to speak out today and in the year ahead. One of the greatest ways to speak out is a podcast. Have you done a lot of podcasts, sir? Well, I don't really know what a podcast is, Craig, but I've done uh, a handful or more of things that were 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 called podcasts. So I guess I have, but not a whole lot. Now, there are some great lawyers like Ben Myselis, Harry Lidman, and uh, Andy McCabe, who worked for the government and who works with Allison Gill, who's not a lawyer, but they're not that smart. And they're asking me for your number because everybody wants to talk to you. And I can't believe I had this extraordinary opportunity for so long. I just feel kind of, I don't know, connected with you. Maybe because we graduated at the same time. And I, I just admire you and your perseverance and the way you've stood up for principle. And the fact that you love Colorado. Love that too, sir. Thank you very much for your time. And I hope we can meet again, chat again. I'd drive up to the mountains to have coffee with you anytime, and you're always welcome at my home here in Metro Denver, okay? Craig, thank you so much, and thank you to all, all of your listeners, and I really appreciate the opportunity to just to visit with, with uh, the, the citizens of Colorado this afternoon. Thank you, and Happy New Year. Especially to Elizabeth. She saved Happy America. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Craig. All right. Bye-bye. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show. But more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer. And I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark 
money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if you were to, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. I love that song, Fire in My Heart, dedicated to Elizabeth Ludig, her husband, the hero, Judge Ludig. But Elizabeth Ludig, you made it happen too. I hope to meet you guys for a cup of coffee. My wife, Trish, and I would love that. We'll bring along the troubadour and his beautiful wife, Lisa. We have a team here. We do it every Saturday. Once in a while, we do Craig's Colorado Corner, which is a panel discussion about the Trump trials and usually focused on the Colorado connections. If you love this show, and I hope you did, please tell a friend. Please do that. And then subscribe, share. Thank you for listening to this epic episode. I wish you nothing but the best in the year 2024. Thank you, Judge Ludig. You are spectacular. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.